Well, good morning. After 12 weeks, including today, of being apart, Lord willing, next Sunday we're going to be back together again. And we rejoice over this, that though we understand not everyone will probably be there, and though we understand that we're going to have to practice social distancing for a while, we rejoice that we do get to come back together again. And we are so prayerful that God will, re, God will work through our renewed uh, fellowship and that he will truly bless our time next week as we rejoice in song, as we lift up our prayers together, and as we hear from his word while in each other's company next week. I want to begin our time in the word by having us read Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 24 through 29. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Read along with me. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Oh God, we rejoice that there is a firm foundation for us. We rejoice, Lord, that there is something solid upon which to put the feet of our lives, that we have an authoritative word, that, Lord, we have true counsel from God, that we have a book communicated through a Savior which tells us how we might be forgiven of our sins, which informs us, Father, of how we are empowered by your Spirit to live new lives, and, Lord, which provides us the hope that we will one day, knowing Jesus, stand with him in his glory. I pray, Lord, that as we're apart one more week, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have our minds fixed on your word, that it would transform us, that it would shape us and fashion us into your image, that it would encourage us as a church family, that it would build us up as individuals and as families and, Lord, as a congregation. I pray, Lord, that we would respect and honor the authority that is behind your word, and that, Father, we would seek its counsels before all others, that, Father, we would place it up on the pedestal where it belongs, Father, that, Lord, we would honor you through the words you have communicated, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and to hear from it and to hear these incredible words from the Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, after 22 sermons considering it, we close out the Sermon on the Mount. And we close it out with words that are meant as an analogy to our text from last week regarding the distinction between those who merely offer Jesus lip service 
and those who offer him obedient life service. Now, some people grasp the analogy of this passage perfectly well because they fully understand the qualitative difference between a rock foundation and a foundation made of sand. They know that one of rock is sturdy because it's solid and unmoving, and that one of sand is faulty because the sand will shift and the foundation will sink, causing that building to eventually fall. But as for myself, I have such little knowledge of what it takes to successfully dig a building's foundation or to pour the footings to ensure that it remains stable once the building is complete that I hesitate to say too much by way of description here. However, when I think of this analogy by Jesus, I am helped out by another experience that comes to mind, my construction of numerous Lego castles and Jenga towers over the years. I remember when I was probably 10 or 11 years old, my parents bought me a Jenga tower for a Christmas present. And I thought the game was awesome because it not only required patient care, something that I found myself actually quite good at as a youngster, but it always ended up with a heart-rending collapse. And like many 11-year-olds, I was more excited about seeing the tower destroyed than probably anything else with the game. And I remember I learned pretty quick that it was important to make sure that you set the tower on a firm surface so that it won't wobble or shift if you suddenly move or if someone walks by. I remember once trying to play it on a lap board while someone sat on a couch. I don't remember whether it was a sneeze or some other sudden movement, but all of a sudden the tower fell and we had to start all over again. It seems rather obvious to say that foundations are important. And Jesus isn't trying to be complex here. In fact, he's trying to be simple and clear in his life illustration to us here. And when we consider the consequences that he mentions, we realize that the foundation upon which we build our lives matters more than anything else in our lives. And he speaks of two foundations. Number one, the solid rock of his word. And number two, the shifting sand of alternatives. So the question we have to ask is, on what are we building our lives? On what are we building our families, our marriages, our approach to education, our motivations at work, our life responsibilities, our response to COVID-19, our mindset towards this church that God has given to us? Are we building our lives upon the solid rock of Christ's word, or are we building our lives upon the shifting sands of other things? And there are two truths I want to convey this morning. Number one, the sure way to prevent a lasting fall is to build your life on the solid word. And number two, the sure way to experience a lasting fall is to build your life on shaky replacements. So number one, the sure way to prevent a lasting fall is to build your life on the solid word. Let's consider this first truth in verses 24 and 25. Again, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them 
will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Now this means, first of all, being a hearer of the word. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine. That phrase, these words of mine, connects us back to, back to last week in verse 21, where he says, the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. When one hears the words of Jesus, his teachings, his promises, his expressions that both encourage and convict, as well as all of his commands, one is hearing the will of God communicated. Jesus is God, after all. And as a member of the triune Godhead, he communicates the word of God to us. In fact, Jesus is elsewhere called the word of God. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he's called the word because he is the expression of God to us. And Jesus is God's perfect communication to us. In the book of Hebrews, at the very beginning, it says that God spoke to human beings in various ways in the past. But it says in Hebrews 1 verse 2, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So now in this last day, God communicates to us through the words of his Son, Jesus. So when Jesus speaks, the will of God is being communicated through words to us. And he must, first of all, be heard. And my friends, his words have been heard again and again over these last 22 sermons. For they are right here in this Sermon on the Mount that he has delivered. They are his words about true heavenly blessing. These are his words about the transformational lives that will mark every faithful disciple who follows him. These are his words about salt, about light, about prayer, about enduring treasure, about trust over worry, and so much more that we have seen. And his words are going to be heard throughout the rest of this book of Matthew as we will see even more of what he has to say. Incredible, life-transforming words he is going to utter. And his words fill up the entirety of Scripture, the whole Bible, as they are all from him and they all speak of him. If you hold, my friend, a copy of God's Word in your hands, you have the Word of Christ before you. So Jesus, who communicates to us as the Word of God, He must be heard, and we must be those who hear Him. But this means more than merely being a hearer. It also means being a doer of the Word. He says in verse 24, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. This is the one who, when he or she hears a promise from Jesus, is 
is encouraged and is filled with joy because they know that that promise from Jesus is true. And then they proceed to live their lives in light of that promise. This is the one who, when he or she hears teachings from Jesus regarding what is true about life, they are thankful that they have received the wisdom of God. Then they recognize that they've been given insight into reality, insights that most people in this world won't accept, and they bask in the God-given wisdom of the Word. This is the one who When he or she hears the encouragements of Jesus or the convicting words of Jesus, they're both strengthened by him and made more aware of their utter dependence upon him. And they flee to him for help in prayer. And this is the one who, when he or she hears the commands of Jesus in his word, they set out to obey them, all of them, in his strength. They look to him in prayer They ask him for help, and then they obediently step forward in the direction that he has pointed them. These are doers of the word. They don't merely hear and then walk away apathetic to what he has said. No, they hear what he says, and then they write it down, they meditate upon it, and they pray over it with great care and tremendous consideration, and then they go forth and do it. Once again, the Apostle James spoke in this way. He says in James 1, verses 22 to 25, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So there is the one who comes before the word and he looks at it like he's looking at his face in his mirror and then he quickly looks away and goes on and does other things, altogether forgetting what he has seen. He doesn't see what the word tells him about himself. He doesn't see what the word points out to him regarding his great need. He merely looks and then he walks. But the wise one is the one who looks at the word and thinks and ponders and prays and then applies to life. And as James says, he will be blessed in his doing. Doers are blessed people, not hearers. Doers, those who hear the word and apply the word to life, are blessed people. A life like this has a solid foundation, Jesus says in Matthew 7. This is the man who digs down deep into the earth until he hits the rock. Solid stone that won't be moved. And then he lays his footings that will faithfully support the whole structure which he will build up above. This is the house that is founded upon the rock. The rain can come, the floods can sweep everything and everyone else away, and the winds can blow all that they want, but this house will stand because this house is founded upon the rock. In that part of the Middle East where Jesus was speaking, 
The land was known for heavy rains, which could very quickly turn dry ground into flashing floods. And houses that had poor foundations would not survive. But those built upon the rock, they stood strong. When I think about what Jesus implies here by this metaphor, I consider the storms of our lives. Storms like Satan's assaults upon us. His efforts to tempt believers like he did Jesus back in chapter 4. I think of his efforts to discourage us away from fidelity to God. I think of his ways to make us despondent and rob us of our joy. I think of his efforts to make all of our daily afflictions seem worse and to impress them upon us as if life were going to come to an end and as if God didn't have a care for us. I think of all of those ways he tries to manipulate us. And then I think about all of the life's, all of life's natural trials that we each face just for being human in a fallen world. I think of sickness and death. I think of viruses and disasters. I think of our sin natures and their desires and propensities. I think of cancer. I think of selfishness. I think of hurricanes. I think of rude people at the supermarket. And with all of this, I think of our tendencies to doubt God, how easily we lose sight of all that He has done and all that He has promised to do. I think of these storms that come upon us, these rains, these floods, these winds that rage against us. But a life founded upon the rock that is Christ's word withstands all of that, all of Satan's assaults, all of life's natural afflictions, all of our doubtings, No storm can overturn that life, for that life is built upon the sure foundation of Christ's wisdom. That life is built upon the Bible. And Jesus calls this wise. This is wise living, he says here. This is the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. In other words, the world around us is wrong. Jesus is right. If you build your life on the solid words of Christ, this implies commitment to His Word. It implies commitments to the obedience of His Word. As He says in verse 20 of chapter 5, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Christ's people become obedient people. We begin to live a righteousness that the rest of this world cannot understand and could never achieve because they haven't had transformed hearts and they do not have God's Spirit. But we are those who are committed to the obedience of Christ's Word. He has made us a people who live out righteousness. It also implies commitment to the sufficiency of Christ's words. As we're going to see in verse 29, He was teaching them as one who had authority. Jesus doesn't speak as one person who offers wisdom as opposed to another person who offers like wisdom. No, he speaks as the wisdom of God, the authoritative source of true wisdom. And so we are those who value the sufficiency of what he says. When there's a problem, we go to him in his word. When there's something we don't understand, we try to search it out in His Word. When life is harsh, when sufferings come, 
When agonies make themselves known, we go to His Word because His Word is the authoritative source of the wisdom of God. We find them to be sufficient. We realize that we don't need other sources of wisdom like we need the wisdom of Christ. And so His rule, His law, His gospel, His gracious expression through the Word of God is what girds us up. It's what drives us. And we believe it is enough for us. It also implies commitment to the relationship that comes through His Word. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, and I I keep referencing it because I'm so looking forward to us getting to this text. But he says in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you see the relationship there? I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. The one we go to for relationship is gentle and lowly in heart. And he says, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So commitment to Christ's word building upon this foundation includes a commitment to the relationship that comes through his word. Jesus is the one who bids us to come to him and made it possible for us to come to him, to the one who is gentle and lowly in heart because he did the most lowly of things. He went to the cross and he laid his life down, paying the price for your sins and my sins. And then in power and splendor, he took it back up three days later as God and King and Savior and Lord. Jesus provides for us in his word the reconciliation that we need to be able to have this right relationship. And so we seek this out in his word. This also implies commitment to the hope that springs from his word. As he says back in chapter 6, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We are those who look with a greater hope to something to come. We believe there's a treasure that will be received through Christ. And so we live for that. And we learn about it and study it and consider it and find our hope of it in His Word that He has provided. So that's our first truth. It is a sure way to have a solid life and a solid eternity to build it upon the foundation of His Word. And our second truth today is that the sure way to experience a lasting fall is to build your life on shaky replacements. Look at verses 26 and 27. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This person hears the word differently than the doer. It says in verse 26 that they hear the word. So Jesus is talking, I think, about those who were hearing him teach. Those who heard all that he'd been saying about the kingdom of heaven and righteousness of life. And those who would soon, as he would soon express it, hear him speak of his need to go to the cross for sinners. 
Really, this is anyone who has heard the instructions of Jesus. But when they heard, rather than receiving the word with lasting joy and seeing it transform their hearts through faith, they set it aside. They were not doers, but hearers only. They had no desire to obey Jesus, or for that matter, to be encouraged by Jesus, or strengthened by Jesus, or to find their joy in Jesus. Many of the people who followed Christ around the Galilean and Judean countryside in that day, who heard his words, fell away from him when his teachings hit too close to home, and when he ended up suffering for sinners upon the cross at Calvary. These were not real believers. They were hearers only, building their lives upon the shifting sands instead of upon the word of rock. This person rejects the astonishing authority of Jesus. 28 and 29 of this passage, it says, When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who has authority and not as their scribes. Now we're going to come back to this a little bit next week as well. But Jesus, it says, taught with authority and not as their scribes. The religious leaders of Jesus' day merely taught the precedence of other teachers. They related what others had said. They passed what others had taught, and they offered no teaching of their own. They had no authority in themselves. They simply pointed to the authority of others. They were mere men. But when Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount, it says the people were astonished because he didn't point to others. He simply declared what is true. With all the authority of heaven, Jesus taught the people as their commanding king. But the one who merely hears, though he may be astonished at the forceful manner of Jesus' authoritative preaching, like many of those that day, he respects not his authority. As we're going to see in coming weeks, Jesus' authority over all of life will be demonstrated but those who are hearers only will reject it. They will not revere him as king. They will not repent. They will not turn to him in true faith. They will not accept him as Messiah and Lord, and they will not follow him with their lives. These are people like the people of Israel whom Moses spoke about when he writes in Deuteronomy 32, verse 15, He forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. The rock of salvation is offered, but they scoff at it. They reject it. They don't receive it. A life, a life like this has a shaky foundation. And the opposite effect to the house on the rock now happens to this house on the sand. The same rains come, the same floods, and the same winds, but now to a cataclysmic effect. For the house falls and as Jesus says, great is the fall. Now, I'm sure that this warning is clear to you. Jesus is saying that the one who hears his word but does not do it will experience a great fall. As he said back in verse 21, this person will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And as he said in verse 23, he will one day tell them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
This fall will be so great because this parting will be so lasting. This is the essence of hell, to be separated from all the goodness of Christ for all of eternity and to experience all of God's wrath that is deserved for our sin. These foolish individuals, they reject the rock. Instead, they choose sand for a foundation. They choose a foundation that cannot stand up when the afflictions of life grow great. And they choose a foundation that cannot support them when they will one day stand before God, convicted eternally by Him over their unrepentant sin. D.A. Carson writes well, he says, those who pretend to have faith, who have a merely intellectual commitment, or who enjoy Jesus in small doses, are foolish builders. When the storms of life come, their structures fool no one, above all God. If you build your life on shaky replacements to Jesus, your life will include certain actions. It will include hearing but not obeying Christ's word. As he says in verse 23, you are then a worker of lawlessness. You may hear it, and for a season you may act as if you're part of it, but ultimately you're not one of Christ's people because you're one who practices lawlessness. You do not obey his word because your heart has never been transformed by the gospel. It will also include seeking wisdom apart from Christ's word. If you're building your life on an infirm foundation, it will include seeking wisdom apart from Christ's word. As the scribes in verse 29, though they taught, they didn't have authority. But you are a person who will go and you will seek wisdom, you will seek authority in other places outside of Christ. Rather than elevating his wisdom as the wisdom of God, you will go elsewhere to find your wisdom. You won't see his word as sufficient. You will consider your own understanding as sufficient. And you will seek out your own sources to drive and guide your life. It will also include forsaking the fellowship offered by God himself. I think back to chapter 6 when he spoke of those who pray and love to be seen by others. In verse 5 of chapter 6, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. They forsake the fellowship of God. They forsake the, the relationship they can have with Him through Jesus. And instead, they seek out little micro rewards that are here today and gone tomorrow. The pleasure of a pat on the back. The pleasure of hearing well done from some other individual. Rather than the pleasure of actually knowing God through the shed blood of his son Jesus, who has provided such a relationship for sinners. It will also include living in false assurance. And this is where it's most dangerous. Many people who build their lives upon the shifting sands don't realize that they've built their lives upon such an infirm foundation. Those who live in the house upon the sand, they assume that everything is fine until it is not, until the storm comes, until the clouds are overhead, until the rains begin to flow down and wipe out the home, and then they are left with nothing, and great is the fall. Don't be that. 
Don't live in false assurance. So I ask you, on what are you building your life? What will be the foundation of your family? What will be the guide? What will be the message? What will be the hope that will strengthen the loved ones who live inside of your home? Will it be a message away from Christ, or will it be the message of Christ? Will it be another's word, or will it be all 66 books of His word that train and guide and strengthen and transform and save? What will be the foundation of your work or your education or your retirement years? What will drive your motivations? What will inform your convictions there? What will arrange your priorities when you're in the midst of those things? What will be the foundation of your marriage, my friend? What will make you prize the commitment you made? What will make you strengthened in hard seasons that will inevitably come? What will drive you towards deeper intimacy with the man or the woman that you love? And what will be the foundation of your stewardships? What will make you de-idolize money in your life? What will inflame you with a passion to give your years, your energies, your safety, and your dollars to the king? What will make you see time rightly as God sees time? And what will be the foundation when affliction inevitably comes? What will fill you with ballast? What will provide the light at the end of the tunnel? What will keep you in right perspective? What will be the foundation, my friend, when you sin? What will awaken you to the gravity and the horror of it? What will tell you of the solution for it? And what will restore you to a life of praise after you've committed it? Oh, my friend, what will be the foundation of our church, Riverside? What will be the base that keeps us rooted in our mission to gather, grow, and go with and for and in Jesus? Let it be the solid rock of Christ's word. Let the truth that he has given to us through his word be what strengthens us and guides us and girds us up that we might be people who honor him, obey him, and praise him, and one day see him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to, again, open up your word. I thank you, Father, for this analogy of Jesus, Lord, about the house on the rock and the house upon the sand. I rejoice, Father, that he has given us such clear instructions. I pray that everyone, Lord, at Riverside would be people, Lord, who have built their lives upon the rock of your word. That, Father, we would look to it first, that we would seek our guidance from it, that we would, Lord, be eager to obey its commands, and that, Father, we would be quick to find our hope in it. Lord, let, let, let none of us be living our lives on the shifting sands of this world. Lord, let us forsake that and instead cling to the rock. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I send you out with this word from Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. May we all hold fast to the word of life this week and until we see Jesus. And until a week from today, Lord willing, you are sent.